On the 30th of September 1938, the then Prime Minister of Britain stood on the tarmac of Heston Airdrome and made a speech in relation to a document that he held in his hands that related to the signing of an agreement he had made the previous day with the Chancellor of Germany that their two nations would never go to war one with another again. The following day, he stood on the steps of Downing Street and made a famous but much misquoted speech whereby he said, My good friends, this is the second time in our history that there has come from Germany to Downing Street peace with honour. I believe it is peace for our time. This brought great hope to people who remember the Great War of 1914-18, which had resulted in the loss of many, many lives. Yet it was only a year later that the war tanks of Germany were crossing into the Polish borders, and as a consequence of this war was recommenced in Europe, and World War II began, which was to continue to 1945, and result in the tragic deaths of many, many young men and women on both sides of the divide. The peace for our time proved to be no peace at all. And so we see the continual fulfilment of the prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he spoke in Matthew 24. We read in the first few verses of Matthew 24, the verses 4 to 8. We read there, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars, and rumours of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines, and pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. You remember, as we turn to that passage, we've turned already, that this is the answer to the disciples' question in verse 3, where they say in verse 3, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming? And of the end of the world? And so Jesus Christ tells them, There shall be wars, there shall be rumours of wars, there shall be famines, wars, pestilences, earthquakes, and all this shall be before, as we read in verse 30, he then says, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in clouds of heaven, with power and with great glory. He shall come, after all this, in power and great glory. This world is in this age. It is not a peaceful place by any stretch of the imagination. Yet there is, as we shall see, a form of peace that a child of God does know in this time and in this generation. In our reading tonight, we turn back to Isaiah chapter 9, there seemed to be so little of what we would term as peace. The chapter starts off by speaking of vexation, of affliction, of walking in darkness. And if you look at the previous chapter, as our chairman said, there seems to be that natural flow from chapter 8 into chapter 9. And many people would say that verse 1 of chapter 9 is indeed verse, the 23rd verse of chapter 8. And we read in that verse 22 there, and they shall look unto the earth, and behold trouble, and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. This verse is speaking primarily to the children and of the children of Israel, but can be applied to all the children of God through all ages. But as you read on in the chapter 9, we come to those two glorious verses in chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, where it says there, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David, and upon his kingdom to order it, and to establish it with judgment and with justice, from henceforth even forever." The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And so we see there those wonderful titles given to the Lord Jesus Christ. Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And it's that last one 
the Prince of Peace, that I would like to turn our attention to for this evening for a short while. All of these titles are indeed most wondrous names for our Lord and Saviour. When we look at this verse, and the whole passage, our minds may be directed to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this verse, and this whole passage, does indeed draw our attention to that very event. As we see from the start of the verse, these words reveal to us the humanity of Christ. For truly, he is that child who is born into the world. He was the seed of the woman, and he truly took upon himself human flesh and became a man. But we also see his true divinity, for he also was the Son of God, and he was and is the Son that was given to this world. But then we have those five wondrous titles that are given to the Lord. Five in Scripture, as you may well know, is number of grace. And truly he, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the author of all grace. He truly is wonderful in all his works and ways. He is the only counsellor that can and does do ruined man any good. He is the mighty God, who is from eternity past, and is a second person of the triune Godhead. He is the everlasting Father, for although he is the Son, yet he is by his very nature the Father too, for he is the Father of all the redeemed of the Lord. But as, we, as I have said, is that last of titles I wish to direct our thoughts to tonight, that he is the Prince of Peace, and to see it in all things, he is the one who is perfect peace, and it is only through him and in him that there can be found true peace. It is quite interesting to note the first reference to peace in Scripture is in reference to Abraham. If we turn to Genesis chapter 15 and the verse 15, Genesis 15 verse 15, and it says there, And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, thou shalt be buried in a good old age. And here we see the promise to Abraham that he would go to his fathers in peace. And this is not a promise that each of God's chosen people can claim to themselves, that we shall, when his passing world is done, be taken to glory, to be their heavenly father in true and everlasting peace, and that we shall reign with Christ in peace upon this earth. But it's also interesting to note that the first person to whom the title of prince is given is also to Abraham. If we look to Genesis, verse 20, Genesis chapter 23, And the verse 6, and it says there, the children of Heather speaking, saying, Hear us, my Lord, thou art a mighty prince among us, in the choice of our sepulchres buried thy dead. None of us shall withhold from thee his sepulchre, but that thou mayest bury thy dead. We read in verse 4 of that chapter, that Abraham says to the children of Heth, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you, Give me a possession for a barren place with you, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And then we have the answer of the children of Heth to Abraham, which we spoke about there, where they said, He is a mighty prince. How true this is the Lord Jesus Christ too? We read of him, don't we, in, one, in John chapter 1 and verse 11. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. He, the creator of all, th- all things, as the previous verses in that John 1 tell us, found himself to be a stranger and a sojourner in that which was so rightfully his, as was Abraham, for he had been a promise of God. The land that he felt to be a stranger and sojourner in was truly his and promise of God. But as we read the children of Heth acknowledged him as a mighty prince, so too we know there will come a time when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he, the Lord Jesus Christ, is a mighty prince, the mighty prince, when he comes to rule and to reign in strength in power and in true eternal peace. I'd like to look at a few titles, it's under a few titles. The first one would be the reality of the Prince. We see the reality of the Prince. The fact that this is truly the Son of God makes this Prince one of the sure things in life. There are many precious promises that are found in the Word of God that promised the Lord Jesus Christ would indeed come to this earth. The Word of God is full of promises that he in his coming will fulfil. And so in his first coming, in his first appearing upon this earth, he came to fulfil that which he would come to do. We can see in the early chapter of Genesis that in the Garden of Eden was a peaceful place. It was where Adam and Eve, our first parents, roamed and had close conversation and communion with God. This truly was the only time that this world has ever known such peace. But then the serpent, 
or the devil came and beguiled Eve and the following chain of events brought sin into the world and with sin, sorrow and with sorrow, death the peace that had reigned in the Garden of Eden was broken but if we look in Genesis, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 we see the promise of God there where he says and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel and this speaks of a time when the seed of the woman Lord Jesus Christ would certainly bruise the head of the devil and all things we put under him the prince of peace yes God promised that he would send his son into the world and there are many scriptures that put this forth if we turn to the book of Numbers Numbers chapter 24 Here we see the prophecy of that false, that wicked prophet Balaam. But if we look in there, Numbers 24 and verses 17 to 18, we see that he says, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. And here he says, There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Sheph. And Edom shall be a possession, Seir also shall be a possession for his enemies, and Israel shall do valiantly. And it goes on there, out of Jacob shall he that shall out of Jacob shall come he that shall have dominion, and shall destroy him that remaineth of the city. And so there Balaam prophesies that star out of Judah, and that scepter that shall arise out of Israel. And he prophesies here the Lord Jesus Christ as that ruler, that king, that prince. In our prophet in the in the book we're looking at, in the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14 we have the prophecy that a virgin shall conceive it says there therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel something a virgin conceiving that in very natural terms is an impossibility and she shall bear a son and call his name Emmanuel which means God with us yes this would be the very son of God taking on a human form and become a man to dwell among men. If we turn to the page of the New Testament, we see the record of the scripture that indeed he did come. If we turn to Luke chapter 2. We turn to verse 34 and we see there the man Simeon and there he says in verse 34, Yes, he says in verse 34, And Simeon blessed them, and turned to them, turned to Mary's mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall, and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And here we see the Holy Ghost was upon him, and I can well believe that he was one who understood the principles and the prophecies of the Old Testament. And he believed them. For it says of him that he was a just and a devout man. And that he was indeed looking for the appearing to this world of one who would be the consolation to Israel. Does this not thought give a thought of impression of comfort and of peace? The consolation of Israel? He also knew this child, he held in his arms, was to be one of the fool. And it's interesting to see that he mentioned first the fool. And the rising of many in Israel, for truly can be said, the Lord Jesus Christ, in his coming in humility, was a stumbling stone to the Jews. They expected one who would come in power and glory and subdue all their enemies, for they had been under bondage since the time of the Babylonian Empire. But this was not the cause of the first coming of the Lord to this earth. Paul, in writing young man Timothy, says of Jesus, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This was the purpose of his first coming, to live a life of obedience to the Father, to die upon Calvary's tree for the sins of his people. Jesus, in speaking in Luke 21 verse 24, and Paul takes this up in Romans 11 verse 25, speaks of the time of the Gentiles, or the fullness of the Gentiles. And here the Lord Jesus Christ and Paul are saying that the purpose of his first coming was not to subdue all the enemies of the Israelite nation, but that the rule of the Gentiles would be for a set time. And it was opened the way of salvation to the Gentiles too. 
as Paul so rightly says in Romans 11, verse 11. Where Paul says there, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather through their, their fall, salvation is coming to the Gentiles. For to provoke them, the children of Israel, to jealousy. And he goes on there, now if the fall of them be to the riches of the world, and the mission of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. And so he speaks of a time when there will come a time, when the Jews will come back to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know from the reading of Scripture, he came to this world. Yes, he was very man of very man. He lived the life of a man. He was a real man. Miss Ann Taylor, you know, him says, Jesus who lived above the sky came down to be a man and die. And in the Bible we may see how very good he used to be. He went about. He was so kind to cure poor people who were blind and many who were sick and lame. He pitied them and did the same. And more than that, he told them too the things that God would have them do and was so gentle and so mild he would have listened to a child. But such a cruel death he died. He was hung up and crucified and those kind hands that did such good they nailed them to a cross of wood. And so he died, and this is why. He came to be a man and die. The Bible says he came from heaven, that we might have our sins forgiven. He knew how wicked men had been, and knew that God must punish sin. So for his people, Jesus said, he would bear the punishment instead. And so it was the real man, who was the promised Prince of Peace, and whom is still the promised Prince of Peace, came to this earth, and in his life and in his death, made peace with God for his people. We have already considered that it was all that was written in the Scriptures concerning the first coming of Christ in this world did come to pass according to all that the prophets said of him. And the very promise of Scripture is that he will come again a second time, and rest assured that all the prophets have said of him will come to pass. He came to bring peace upon his earth in the hearts of men and women who trust in him. But as we go on to see, he becomes a prince of peace when all creation will come under his peaceful and eternal reign. But we also see what the Saviour also said of his coming into this world. If we turn to Matthew 10, verses 34 to 39... Read then Matthew 10 verses 34. Lord Jesus Christ is speaking and he says here, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own, ho- of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross, up his cross and falleth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. And here we see the Lord himself stating that in his first coming he did not come as that perfect prince of peace. For he knew that in his coming there will be division of the sheep from the goats, of right from wrong, of good from evil, And this very division may even appear in very close families and friendships. I am sure we all know of those who know the heartache and pain of unconverted ones and their families close to us. But there is also the fact that Christ did not say that those who followed him, but there is also the fact that Christ did say that those who followed him would have to take up their cross and follow him. There are many trials, many temptations and sorrows in the Christian life. And we all know that even the most accomplished believer If there is such a thing, no sorrow in this life. Yes, this promise stands true, that he, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the eternal, the Prince of Peace. He is the real Prince of Peace. We need to see the reassurance of the Prince, the reassurance of the Prince, and perhaps the sureness of this promise, was we have stated the reassurance of the Prince, is that which comes in the promise of God the Father and of God the Son, 
and of the working of the Holy, God the Holy Spirit. If we turn back to Isaiah chapter 9, we read there at the end of verse 7, where it says there, The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Speaking of verses 6 and 7, really, in the back there. And we believe the sovereign God, who is in control of all things, and all things are working to his supreme command. And we can read in the scripture of all that he said in his word in relation to the coming of Christ in this world at the time of his first coming. And there are many things that we cannot touch upon at this time, but they were fulfilled at the time of his life upon this earth. All these fulfillments of scripture give us that blessed assurance that what he has done in times past, he will do in times to come. The Lord Jesus Christ, whilst upon this earth, had much to say what he was about and what the purpose of his coming was and also the purpose of his leaving this earthly scene to go back to the Father with a sweet promise before he left to his disciples that I will come again. If we turn to John 14, where that saying comes from, comes from John 14 verse 3. You'll see there that it starts off, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions, If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. And it goes on and on after that, Thomas asking questions. And we see here the words of the Saviour. And they and in themselves should bring comfort and peace to the heart of the believer that Jesus is coming again to receive us unto himself, that where he is, we may be also, in the presence of his Father, and there indeed we shall be in the time to come. But in this very passage, Lord Jesus Christ goes on to say more to his disciples, and to all believers, all three ages. That should bring comfort and peace to our hearts. Well, we go down the passage and read to verse 27. In verse 27 it says there, Lord Jesus Christ speaking in, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away, and come again unto you. If ye love me, ye will rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you, before it comes to pass, that when it is come to pass, ye might believe." And here we see that Christ says on his leaving, he leaves his peace with his people, with his disciples. We have already considered at the start of the day how the peace of the world is no peace at all. All through the ages men have sought to strike peace deals and peace treaties. Yet as year succeeds to year, we have the truth of the Saviour's prophecy. Again, which we look at tonight from Matthew 24, verses 6 to 7, that there will be wars, there will be rumours of wars, nation rising against nation. Yes, we can truly say this world has no peace for man or woman or child of the world. There's alone for man, woman or child of God. And as we go on from day to day, so it seems new turmoil, new wars are started on almost a daily basis. Yet amidst all this, there is a promise of a saviour to his people, which he gives unto them that peace, the peace that passeth all understanding. For is it a divine peace? and not a peace that this world affords. It is the peace of God that is found in the very love of God. The Lord Jesus Christ says to each of his disciples, as he said to the disciples in the upper room, after his resurrection, Peace be unto you. Something he said to them twice, as if to reaffirm the matter. They were living amidst turmoil. The one they had followed for three years had been taken away from them, crucified, and they did not know what to do. Then, in the midst of all this, the Lord Jesus Christ appears unto them and grants them that assurance, that peace, that he has risen from the dead, as he told them. And so he gives to each of his children that same assurance in his word, that he died for our sins, that though we are dead in trespasses and sins, yet he has borne the punishment instead. And instead of being an enmity with God, we are brought through him to be at peace with God. And so many of the benedictions that end services Have that prayer that we may, as we part, know the peace of God in our hearts. And Peter, 
in his second epistle in chapter 3 and verse 14 says this very same thing 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 14 where he says there wherefore beloved seeing that ye look for such things be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless may we each be those that know the peace of God in our hearts and be diligent to seek after these things but we also have the work in the Holy Spirit that worketh peace in the hearts of those who trust in God if we go back to John 14 and look at the verse 26 there the verse before we looked at where we see there the, the promised comforter but the comforter which is the Holy Ghost whom the Father will send in my name he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I said unto you and then goes on to speak about peace I leave with you my peace I give unto you and the very concept the very nature of the word comforter is synonymous with peace and so it is the Holy Ghost working in the hearts and lives of men women and children brings that peace that was promised by the Saviour to bear fruit in their lives and if you look back to verse 16 it says there and I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever and so it is the, Lord, the Holy Ghost will abide with the saints of God not just during their sojourn on this earth but forever for all eternity and so with the presence of the Holy Ghost comes that peace that can only be found in Christ Jesus if we look thirdly at the rule of the prince the rule of the prince we see here but as with most princes and of all kings there is a rule of the monarch too and the Bible has much to teach us about the rule of Christ in the book of Hebrews we have Christ being compared to Melchizedek who if we turn to Genesis 14 verse 18 we will see he was a king of the city known as Salem or being translated king of the city of peace for Salem means peace so once again it is being taught in scripture that the Lord Jesus Christ is not only the prince of peace but he's also the king of peace and he will have dominion in a peaceful manner we have also spoken of the peace that he promises his disciples whilst he was here upon earth and that same peace he gives to each and every one of those who place their trust in him and so it is that as each elect person of God comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ so they enter into that peace that is reserved only for the children of God a peace that is signified by the rule of Christ in the heart of each believer John Bunyan saw this so well in his not so well known allegory the holy war here he tells the story or the tale of Prince Emmanuel who eventually comes to the rescue of man's soul from the rule and dictatorship of the evil and wicked Diabolus and it is only when Prince Emmanuel comes to rule and to reign the city of man's soul that true peace was re-established to that township so it is with the Christian it is only when Jesus takes control of our lives that true peace is re-established in the life of that soul a peace that was lost in the Garden of Eden by our foreparents Adam and Eve but it is that rule of Christ in the hearts of men that brings them into that realm of peace and we have much in scripture that teaches us of the peaceful and truly peaceful nature of his rule upon earth if we turn to the book of Deuteronomy Deuteronomy in the chapter 17 verses 14 to 20 and here it is the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking uh, God is speaking to Moses and he's saying to Moses when thou art come unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee and shalt possess it and shalt dwell therein and shalt say I will set a king over me like as all the nations that are about me thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee whom the Lord thy God shall choose one from among thy brethren shalt thou set king over thee thou mayest not set a stranger over thee which is not thy brother but he shall not multiply horses to himself nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end that he should multiply horses for as much as the Lord hath said unto you ye shall henceforth return no more that way neither shall he multiply wives to himself that his heart turn not away neither shall he be great, great multiplied to himself silver and gold but it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests and Levites and it shall be with him and he shall read therein 
all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the law of his God, to keep all the words of this law, and those statutes, and these statutes, to do them, that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, and that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children, in the midst of Israel. And here we see the word of God that was given to Moses concerning the nation of Israel and what was in store for that nation in days to come. We see in this portion, here is a read, that the Lord was speaking to Israel concerning the setting up of a king and a nation. And as we read through the qualities and attributes that this king should have, and should have and shall have, we see that each of the kings of Israel that were raised up, these things were not fulfilled. The being an Israelite, the pure devotion to the Lord, the non-reliance on military might, and the nations around about for deliverance, the multiplicity of wives, and so on and so forth, as you read there in those verses. So as we look at this David and Solomon, and the rest of the kings of Israel and of Judah, and see that these things were not fulfilled, so we look beyond the pages of the Old Testament to a greater than any one of these. Many of the Psalms are called Messianic Psalms, and to this end they look forward to a Messiah. And we are today thinking of the Prince of Peace. Psalm 2, we look at Psalm 2, is one such Messianic Psalm. And here David is speaking about the kings and the nations that are upon this earth setting themselves up against the Lord and against his anointed one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And their purpose in doing that is to break the power of God in this earth. But the psalmist goes on to say in that psalm that it is the Lord who will get the victory and it is he who will break them, the enemies of truth. But the psalm ends with the precious words and the truth that it is those who put their trust in him, in the Son of God, that are truly blessed, that are truly happy, that will truly be at peace while all those around them are raging and will ultimately be broken in pieces. Psalm 45 is another of those Messianic Psalms. And this once again speaks of the kingdom of Christ. We read it there in verse 6. And how that his throne, that he was set up, is an everlasting throne that will endure forever. But it also does teach us that the kingdom is ruled of a right sector and that righteousness is that which is followed, not wickedness. And that the citizens of that kingdom will be anointed with the oil of gladness. How these psalms and others like them point to the Lord Jesus Christ as that one and he alone who will rule <coughs> the nations with a rod of iron. But also bring to this earth peace, not known since the days of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The prophet Isaiah, whose prophecy we looked at looking at this evening, lived through the reign of a number of kings of Judah. And how he must have received this prophecy, and others like them, with great delight, when he saw the wickedness and oftentimes inadequacy of the successive kings of Israel and of Judah. For he gave a number of prophecies under the inspiration of God as to the rule of the Prince of Peace and the nature of this perfect and peaceful rule. We next see the rest of the prince. We have considered much of the prince that is to be found under the prince of peace. Much of the peace that is to be found under the rule of the prince of peace. I would like to point my words now to the Saviour that recorded in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Well-known words, well-loved words they are. Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me. For I am meek, and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. These words are well known unto the people of God, and well loved too, as we have said. The command of God, of Jesus, is that we are to come to him. We live in a world where there is much to weigh upon us. Paul talks in Romans about the wages of sin. And it is so true. Sin is laborious. Sin is weary. Sin runs us down. But what a joy it is to be brought the Holy Spirit, to the Spirit of God, to be our burden of sin, as did the, the pilgrim, Christian, in the Pilgrim's Progress, and to look unto the Lord Jesus Christ, who took our load of sin upon himself. And he calls each sin-laden person to come unto him, and to find in him that rest, that peace for their souls. It's my prayer that each in this place tonight may feel their burden of sin, and flee to the Saviour, to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the Prince of Peace, and there find that rest for their souls, in him, in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
There's a story I've read that goes to this effect that two painters were commissioned to paint a picture that illustrated true and perfect peace. The first painter painted what he thought was a tranquil evening scene. In the foreground was a lake, its surface absolutely calm and unruffled, surrounded by trees that gently swayed in the quiet evening breeze, and beyond that lush green meadows that stretched away in the distance where sheep and cattle quietly grazed their hearts and tents. And then a small cottage with smoke gently rising from the chimney, all set in in the setting of a setting sun, a scene that seems to speak of perfect peace, of perfect rest. The second painter, on the other hand, painted a picture that was a stormy scene, black storm clouds hanging overhead in the middle of a waterfall that gushed forth with loud, thunderous waters, causing the pool at the bottom to be covered with foam, a scene in which one could almost hear the tempestuous and unceasing roar of water, Yet the item that caught the eye of the beholder was right in the middle of the artwork was a small bird perched in the cleft of a rock pouring forth melodious notes of joy and completely sheltered from all the storm round about her. This is but a picture of true and perfect peace that passeth all understanding that can only be found resting in the sure rock of our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of true and eternal peace. We can only find true peace only find real peace with ourselves when we find true peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like to look lastly at the realm of the Prince. The realm of the Prince. I would like to consider here, it's much the same as the rule, in that all his subjects, both in the spiritual realm and in the physical realm, will know that peace that is past the understanding or comprehension of the human mind. In the spiritual realm, it's he who rules in the hearts of all true and again believers. And when they walk according to his word and according to his ways, then they know that peace of God in their hearts. But it is when in foolishness we or they wander into paths of sin and wickedness, then they know that peace ebbing as it were away from them. And they feel the pain of sin and the sharpness of the evil one. We thought of John Bunyan tonight and his allegories and the allegory of the Pilgrim's Progress speaks of the two pilgrims as they journey on their way, fall into a meadow called Bypath Meadow. Because they saw it would be easy in the foot to walk in the lush grass, but the command of the king was to stay on the path and not to wander into any other way. That is a command of scripture, to walk in the ways of God and not to turn aside, however fair they may seem. But as the two pilgrims walked, as the two people were in this field, sight was they were set upon by that one giant despair and were held captive in his dungeon. Oh, the pain that disobedience brings to the Christian on his or her way. But we still have a merciful God, as we spoke about in Isaiah, still stretches out his hand towards his people. And as for those pilgrims in the allegory, he gives us those promises in his word to escape the clutches of any giant despair. But how we know but in his clutches, the clutches of giant despair, there is no joy and certainly no peace. But obedience to the Lord brings us over the joy and the peace that cannot be found in all the promises and the pleasures and the treasures of this world. But as we look at the reign of King Jesus in the physical realm, so we see those things that we all yearn for in this day and age and yet never see. For while sin has dominion upon this earth, there will never be true peace, never be true happiness. If we turn to the Psalm 72 and we read we read through this Psalm I think I think we have time for it Give the King thy judgments O God and thy righteousness unto the King's Son He shall judge thy people with righteousness and thy poor with judgment The mountains shall bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness he shall judge the poor of the people. He shall give the children of the he shall save the children of the needy, and shall break in pieces the oppressor. They shall fear thee as long as the sun and moon endure, throughout all generations. He shall come down like rain upon the mown grass, as showers that water the earth. In his days shall the righteousness righteous flourish, and the abundance of peace so long as the moon endureth. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river unto the ends of the earth. They that dwell in the wilderness shall bow before him and his enemies shall lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish 
and of the isles shall bring presents, the kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. Yea, all kings shall fall down before him, all nations shall serve him, for he shall deliver the needy when he crieth, the poor also, and him that hath no helper. He shall spare the poor and needy, and shall save the souls of the needy. He shall redeem their soul from deceit and violence, and precious shall their blood be in his sight. And he shall live, and to him shall be given the gold of Sheba. Prayer also shall be made for him continually, and daily shall he be praised. There shall be an handful of corn in the earth upon the top of the mountains. The fruit thereof shall shake like Lebanon, and they of the city shall flourish like grass of the field. His name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun, and men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things, and blessed be his glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and Amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. This again is one of those Messianic Psalms. We can see from the head of the psalm that it states it's a psalm for Solomon. And so it's believed that David wrote this psalm as his son Solomon came to succeed him on the throne. But it speaks of a greater than Solomon, for it speaks of a Messiah, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we tonight have been considering as that Prince of Peace. You'll remember that David in the scripture is described as a man of war. And you're recalling two chronic or one Chronicles twenty eight. 1 Chronicles 28 verses 1 to 3 that David is there assembled the princes of Israel it says verse 1 and David assembled all, all the princes of Israel the princes of the tribes and the captains of the companies that ministered to the king by course and the captains over the thousands and captains over the hundreds and the stewards over all the substance and possession of the king and of his sons and the officers and with the mighty men and with all the valiant men unto Jerusalem then David the king stood up upon his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. As for me, I had in mine heart to build an house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God and had made ready for the building. But God said unto me, Thou shalt not build an house for my name because thou hast been a man of war and hast shed blood. And it goes on to say, Howbeit the Lord God of Israel chose me above all the house of my father. And it says there, in verse 5, And of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he hath chosen Solomon, my son, to sit upon a throne in the kingdom of God, kingdom of the Lord, over Israel. And we see there that David had a desire to build a house for the Lord his God, but was restrained from doing so, because he was a man of war and had shed blood. He was one that 1 Kings 2 verse 12 says, that he established the kingdom of Israel by defeating the enemies. And so when Solomon comes to the throne, his kingdom is marked by a degree of peace. David had fought the wars. David had set the boundaries. David had made the kingdom. So Solomon comes to the throne and he has had that degree of peace in the borders of the land. And so we see that by the two of these, the Lord Jesus Christ is typified by both David and by Solomon. As it will be he, as Psalm 2 tells us, he will break the kings of the earth, he will dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel, but he will also be the one who will reign in righteousness and in peace. And it's these two words that I like to finish on, righteousness and peace. If we turn back to Psalm 72, we see these two words come together in a number of verses. In verse 3, the mountains shall bring peace to the people, and the little hills by righteousness. In verse 7 again we see, in his days shall the righteous flourish, and abundance of peace so long as the moon endureth. So we, so we see the law of God, in the law of God, peace appears to be the product of righteousness. If we turn to Jeremiah verse 20, chapter 23, Jeremiah 23 and verses 5 and 6, we there see, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is the name whereby he shall be called, the Lord our righteousness, Jehovah Sidkenu. The Mosaic law in Leviticus chapter 26, 
Leviticus chapter 26 and verses 3 to 6 here speaks of the command and the promise of God. And he says here, If ye walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I will give you rain in due season, and the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall bear fruit. And your threshing shall reach unto the vintage, and the vintage shall reach unto the sowing time, and you shall eat your bread to the full, and dwell in your land safely. And I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid, and I will rid evil beasts out of the land, neither shall the sword go through your land. And so we see here the connection between righteousness and its fruit being peace. We see this further in Isaiah chapter, thir- chapter 32. In Isaiah 32, verse 17, where Isaiah says, um, we start in verse 16 perhaps, that gives a bit more of the sense, then judgment shall dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness remain in the fruitful field, and the work of righteousness shall be peace. And so here again we see a connection between righteousness and between peace. But we also see that peace comes also, the everlasting assurance that can only be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. How we know that man so often has and does seek to find peace, as we have thought at the start of this evening, but only in their own terms, and not according to the scripture, not according to righteousness. And so looking to themselves, this only brings sorrow, continuance of wars, of ruins of wars, of famine, of pestilences, as the Lord Jesus Christ said, of heartache, and of despondency and failure to find peace. It is only when we look to the King of Peace that we shall find that true peace, as we go through this psalm, Psalm 72, so we see much of the attributes of this kingdom. It will be a worldwide kingdom, stretching from sea to sea, and unto the ends of the earth, and all kings and all nations shall serve King Jesus, the Prince of Peace. So this shall be, so all shall enjoy this peaceful reign. But we see towards the end of the psalm the effects on the physical realm, the physical earth. It shall be harvest in the tops of the mountains, verse 16 there, and the whole earth shall be filled with his glory. Isaiah speaks more of this, when speaking of this kingdom, in chapter 11 of Isaiah. He speaks of the times when the whole earth shall be full of the glory, knowledge of the Lord. In chapter 11, verses 6 to 9, where we read there, They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the noise of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. Sorry, I've started verse 9, I should have started verse 6 there, shouldn't I really? Uh, verse 5, perhaps in the sense. And righteousness shall be the girl of his loins, and faithfulness the girl of his reins. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf, and the young lion, and the fatten together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed, the young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the sucking child shall play and hold the ass, and the winged child shall put his hand in the cockatrice's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. He speaks again in chapter 65 in a similar vein. Chapter 65 and the verse 25 really is, is much there, but we'll just turn to the verse 25, where he says there, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock, and dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, saith the Lord. Yes, this kingdom of the Prince of Peace will be a kingdom of perfect peace. We thought earlier those two artists and their respective paintings, and perhaps it was in the mind of the first one, this peace. It's a very poor picture he re- represented, but perhaps he had this perfect peace and serenity in mind as he painted his picture. And as we draw to a close, I'd like to turn to those portions in Revelation, to the, per- the words of the Apostle John, as he was shown that vision in Revelation, Revelation chapter 19. We're reading verse 11 there. And I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse, and he that sat upon him called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes was a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew, but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, 
and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth gave a sharp sword, that with it he shall smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. If you turn to the next chapter, chapter 20, and read verses 4 and 5. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads, or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And the rest of the dead lived not again, until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. If we turn to the next chapter, chapter 21, talking really of the new Jerusalem, the new, new heavens and the new earth, verses 1 to 5, and we read there, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I saw, and I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from God, out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Yes, there is come a time when the Lord Jesus Christ will reign upon this earth. It will be a time of great peace. And should we not echo those words that come at the end of Revelation, where John says, Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Amen.